Hi, I'm Dr. Pat Basu, the host of Focus on Cancer, a show that focuses on the everyday questions that cancer patients have. It is a pleasure today for me to welcome the Chief Medical Officer of Cancer Treatment Centers of America, Dr. Julian Schink. Dr. Schink is a world-renowned cancer expert, and it's a delight to have you on the show. Dr. Schenk, how are you today? Dr. Basu, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm gonna slip my mask off, um, which I wear really all the time that I'm in the hospital. I wear that during these COVID-19 pandemic times to help keep both our patients and our stakeholders safe. So thank you for having me today. So Dr. Schenk, there's been a lot of talk around opening up America and you know the milestones, the phases, the guidelines. Can you share with us as a, as an expert in cancer care, what are the key guidelines or the tenets of, of opening up America? Well, thank you for asking me that question because I know there's a great pent-up demand. People are ready to get back to the world that they know and love and, and the activities that they want to do. The key guidelines in my mind, though, are to continue to practice that which we have learned in the last eight weeks. Um, continue our social distancing. That's still relevant. COVID is still out there. It didn't go away. We flattened the curve because we learned about social distancing. Wear a mask when you're out in public. That mask protects you. It, you know, when I say you, I mean my mask protects you, your mask protects me. So wearing masks decreases the chance of um, getting COVID or spreading COVID. Do hand hygiene. It is critically important. And it has been shown over and over again that washing your hands as many as 10 times a day can significantly lower your risk of getting this virus. So do those things. And then finally, you know, respect your environment. Res respect the fact that um, there are others around you, the groups that you go into, the settings that you put yourself into, the more people that are around, the more risk you have. So is it is it safe to say that it doesn't have to be one size fits all? It doesn't have to be all or nothing. You can go out as long as you're practicing some of these uh, these tenets that you mentioned. Absolutely. And I think they will continue to evolve and we will continue to learn more and more about what is safe and, and what isn't safe. Um, and, and that's the beauty of it. So we continue to get better at this. We get continue to um, figure out how we as a community can do the things that we like to do and yet keep ourselves and our, and our neighbors safe. So absolutely, it's not one size fits all and it's not black and white. Uh, it's a new world that we're learning to live in, and, and uh, we can do this. We can succeed at this. What are some of the, uh, the policies and procedures that, that you use to keep patients safe? First of all, we've learned a lot about COVID. It, it makes, there's certainly much to, yet to be learned, but we've learned a lot. Of, and one is you, you noticed that I was wearing this mask when I came up. And, and so we have learned that wearing masks is a really important component to staying safe. And it not only keeps me safe, it keeps you safe. I wear this mask for you and you wear your mask for me. And it really works to decrease the chance that I might shed virus to someone around me, someone 
that I'm seeing or caring for or someone I care about. And likewise, um, you wearing a mask decreases the likelihood that I would be receiving virus that you have and didn't know you had. So that's certainly one step. But it's actually, there's really four elements to this. And the mask is one. Um, so social distancing helps. Hand hygiene is incredibly important. And whether that hand hygiene is 20 seconds of washing your hands with soap and water or the use of alcohol products, which are much more abundant now and much more available, um, that hand hygiene needs to happen many times a day. And certainly after any encounter, close encounter with p other people or with potentially contaminated surfaces, although it's the encounters with other people that are, are certainly most important about that. And then the last component is um, really a social awareness. It's our screening of people that as they come and go from our hospitals. Um, by doing that, we have had remarkable success in avoiding people bringing can uh, COVID in from the outside. And as you know, our patient population, the cancer patient population, is at increased risk for the complications of COVID. So these safety measures are, are doubly important to us. Dr. Shank, you mentioned some really uh, important procedures that, that you've implemented as a, as a medical leader to keep patients safe. Can you talk a bit about the role of, of testing, uh, both uh, specifically you know, for cancer patients and, and at, at our hospitals, as well as just generally across the country? Absolutely. So testing really falls in, right now falls into two categories. And there's an, and, and so the first one is, how do we test people going forward to keep them safe? And what we're doing in that regard, and when I say keeping people safe. I'm talking specifically now about our cancer patients. So before we do anything to or for a cancer patient where they might be at increased risk if they had COVID and didn't know it, we are testing those patients. Um, so what do I mean by things that where they could get in trouble if they didn't know they had COVID but actually did? So we know that patients who have uh, major surgeries and have COVID have significantly increased complications. So we're testing those patients before their surgery. We're testing them um, generally late or later in the day, right before their surgery, so that we don't have any surprises. Dr. Shank, you and I both uh, used to work for uh, general uh, health systems that that had emergency rooms and treated all aspects of disease. Both of us still have many friends who are, are physicians or leaders of those hospitals. Is there any difference uh, for a cancer patient in terms of um, going to a, a cancer specialty hospital like Cancer Treatment Centers of America versus a, a general health system during, uh, during this pandemic? So absolutely. I mean, all we do is cancer. Patients with cancer, patients who might have cancer, who need uh, directed screening tests or surgeries to rule out cancer. Um, we are not an acute care hospital where someone with a cough and shortness of breath is going to walk in the door. 
So we do not have COVID people appearing um, at our front door. And that really is keeps our patients and our caregivers and our stakeholders safer. It makes a, makes a huge difference. And it has allowed us, I, I don't want to say it's business as usual because it's not. We have all of these new safety measures in place, but we haven't lost a beat when it comes to taking care of cancer patients. We still are. We're, we're full on in business providing cancer care, and we're doing it in an environment where we don't have the noise of COVID within our walls. We have much less risk of somebody having any kind of cross-contamination because the patient's just uh, are very unlikely to be here. I have had the privilege, and I know you have too, of, of speaking to so many patients uh, and cancer patients in a care setting. And the, the number of patients that I've spoken to with emotional stories of, of not being able to get their care uh, during this, these last uh, couple of months here has, has really been uh, emotional and, and tragic um, and I'm glad that we've been able to help so many of them, but there are just so many more that have had their care disrupted. So, so let's go back uh, a couple of months ago to some of the earlier guidelines that um, that were put into place across the country and across states. Uh, some of them, unfortunately, confusing to both patients and even to uh, to providers. How did those early guidelines affect cancer patients? Well, sadly, some of them really put a halt on cancer patients receiving the care that they needed or deserved. And, and, and that kind of waiting is, is so painful for patients who either have cancer and know they're waiting or someone who's concerned they might have cancer. I know you've heard me say before um, that in my mind, for a cancer patient, waiting is suffering, waiting for a test result, waiting for a treatment, uh, waiting to know what's going to happen is just so difficult when you know you have a life-threatening illness. And so those early messages of just stop, don't do anything, cancer patients are at huge risk. What they're at huge risk for is cancer. Um, it is true that if a cancer patient gets COVID, the complications are much higher. Um, that said, they still need their treatment. And so it was unfortunate in the early days, some of those mixed messages were a barrier. We were able to work past those barriers, but it, it was a bit unfortunate. Thank you for sharing that. You know, even recently, the American Cancer Society has shared um, studies that say that, that maybe half of cancer patients have had significant disruption in their cancer care. Uh, there's recent data to suggest that um, there's been a dramatic decrease in cancer patients being screened and and potentially the cancer diagnoses are down, uh, you know, 20, 25, 30 percent. Can you talk to us about this idea of, you know, the decrease in screening, the decrease in, in receiving care? What might be the, the medium and long term effects of of that on the cancer population if if this doesn't get quickly reversed. Yeah, well, yeah, those results or the, the, the outcome of that, the consequences of that delay um, could just be terrible, um, really sad. 
cancer screening works because it moves uh, cancer from a late diagnosis when it is symptomatic and you can't deny that you have it to an earlier diagnosis when it's treatable and curable. Um, and so those cancers, whether it be breast cancer or colon cancer in particular, cervical cancer as another example, those, those cancers um, are much more treatable when they are in the first stage or in a precancerous stage than they are um, later. And by standing in the way of that, unfortunately, some people will go from treatable, curable to harder to treat, less likely to cure. And so that's unfortunate. We've got to move past that. We, we have to adopt a new normal where we can continue to provide that kind of preventive care in the background of COVID, staying safe, you know, using those safety measures I talked about. That's those, if we continue to rely on our four safety measures of face masks and social distancing and hand hygiene and screening in this environment, we can then safely provide these cancer prevention strategies. And it, the time has come to do that. Yeah, I very much agree. You know, as physicians, we often think about uh, the risk-benefit analysis. And uh, during a pandemic, during a crisis, sometimes the uh, one side of that equation gets overweighted. But certainly, cancer is the definition of a um, a very serious, a very life-threatening condition, and one that is incredibly common and, and far too common with one out of every three Americans uh, who are going to be diagnosed with cancer in their lifetime. C can you talk about how how a patient should think through this risk-benefit ratio? You, know, you, you mentioned earlier that you know the, the cancer is is, ser is is the serious condition that unfortunately will almost certainly um, you know, affect them and, and in the long run um, be life-threatening. How, how should we think about the risk-benefit analysis of having a diagnosis of cancer in a time of COVID? You've got to treat the cancer or most cancers, not all, but the vast majority will kill you without treatment. And so it is absolutely imperative that you get that treatment and ideally, you do it in an environment that respects your risk for COVID and protects you and does everything in its power to help prevent you getting COVID or having to deal with that at the same time. Again, we have the advantage at a single specialty hospital of doing that in a safer environment. No environment is perfectly safe, but it's, there is certainly, it, it certainly is safer. You mentioned something earlier I wanted to come back to, and it's very important in my mind. You mentioned that a, a given patient who, if we were to catch their cancer, let's say three months later or six months later because of a disruption in in their diagnosis, how, how might that affect their likelihood of survival um, potentially for a given patient? Or if they were to survive, how might that impact impact the quality of life for um, you know for the for the next several months? Can you talk about the, the the exponential increase in mortality and morbidity that occurs 
as a cancer progresses over time? Well, yes and no. So um, there's no question that and when we catch cancers earlier, the treatment options that are available, the, the organ-preserving treatment options, whether, you know, using breast cancer as an example, if we do lumpectomy and radiation or other local therapy, that's certainly far more um, acceptable to many people than more radical surgery like mastectomy. Um, avoiding chemotherapy that might be required if you had metastatic disease. Find it earlier, avoid the metastatic disease. Much higher chance of, of being cured. Do we have numbers? We don't have numbers because we've ne we thank goodness, have never done the experiment of saying, hey, you know, I think we're going to wait on your treatment for six months or so and see what, what happens. Um, we don't know what happens when we delay. Um, sadly, we might, ha might someday look back on this time and say, oh, what happened to cancer in 2020 when there were delays? You know, what happened to survival? I would hate to think what we may discover. I hope that's not the case, but people really can't put this off. Yeah, I agree with you. It would be tragic if we were to look back a year from now or three years from now, and there is some study that shows uh, an increase in, in cancer mortality uh, due to uh, patients um, dying from not getting the treatment that they need. And, and, and fundamentally, the morbidity would increase too. So is it, is it safe to say, Dr. Shank, that a, a given patient who might have been eligible for uh, a lumpectomy, uh, their, their cancer progressed, they now had to have, uh, you know, a, a, a bilateral mastectomy, that their recovery would be longer, the likelihood that they might miss important life events, a marriage uh, of a of a granddaughter, a graduation of a grandson, that even if they were to survive, their their morbidity, their their quality of life could be decreased if their um, if their care is delayed. Yeah, I mean, certainly delaying care is going to increase all of those um, factors: the social disruption as well as the medical consequences. Now, having said that, I, I don't think that, um, fortunately, at this time that the eight weeks of delay um, are going to have those dramatic results or consequences. The, the story is if we don't get back to business quickly and soon, then those will begin to mount. That's the, the real challenge that we face. Now, having said that, as you know, people don't usually start their journey with an oncologist right? They start their journey by going to see their primary care doctor or someone who says, gee, I found a problem or going for their screening mammogram or screening colonoscopy. Um, and so we need society to get back to that sense of normal as well. Um, now, I will say primary care doctors are ramping up and they're doing their telehealth and, and they're really getting a lot smarter about that. In the process of doing that, they can't, obviously, we can't have them neglecting cancer screening, nor do we want them to postpone any of the diagnostic tests that might be necessary uh, 
to identify a cancer. Because as you know, um, screening is one part, but, but responding to a patient's symptoms and doing ordering the workup is the other part of making cancer diagnosis. And, and, and we can't let that wait either. In other words, what you're saying is, is so, so many cancers are detected um, indirectly or because they went to a, a primary care physician or a physician of another sort, uh, a dermatologist, a, a gastroenterologist, et cetera, with, with symptoms or maybe an incidental finding uh, that led to their diagnosis of cancer. So if, if patients are putting off other medical care, or the treatment of general symptoms, generalized symptoms, it's possible that that, that could lead to a, a delay in their diagnosis and a delay in their treatment. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, sadly, I, I know that patients are worried about um, seeking out health care um, with their um, primary care providers and others. I mean, I, I heard I spoke with my father yesterday who is putting off going to see his primary care doctor because he doesn't want to go into an office. And I said, well, do a telehealth visit. But if you're having symptoms, you know, you kind of talk to your doctor about it. So as you know, there are symptoms of cancer that people need to be aware of and they need to respond to, whether that symptom is, you know, bright red blood in, in your stool or it's new shortness of breath um, new abdominal pain that wasn't there before, a mass that you feel that you didn't feel before. These are all signs or symptoms of cancer that people can't suppress or put off because of the threat of COVID. We've got to be, we've got to respect those symptoms. And people do, but it's time to say, okay, I'm going to go see my doctor. Dr. Schenk, you've done a lot of work in the areas of, of risk assessment and, and risk stratification. Uh, the, you know, the idea that um, different patients obviously have different, different risk factors for, for getting a disease. In the context of, of cancer on one hand and uh, COVID on the other, just, just for the general patient, can you give us um, some guidelines in terms of how one might think about uh, if they are they don't have an active diagnosis of, of either disease. They don't have an active diagnosis of cancer. They don't have an active diagnosis of of COVID. In those camps, how might a patient think about assessing their risk? Let's start with cancer. Right. Well, so we certainly know that one in three Americans will develop cancer in their lifetime. We've got to acknowledge that and respect that. Um, that is a, you know, a, that's a fact that's life-threatening because if you ignore it, it can kill you. Um, there are screening tests to help lower the risk of dying from skin cancer with skin surveillance. Those skin cancers include squamous cancers and melanoma, but they require an exam by a professional who's directed that way. We can, we can significantly lower the chance of dying of breast cancer with, with um, appropriate breast exam and mammography, even greater res um, impact on lowering the risk of colon cancer with colonoscopy or with um, testing with um, things like Cologuard. Either of those is appropriate for colon cancer screening. Cervical cancer 
Um, as you may know, 50 years ago before pap smears, more than 50 or 60 years ago now, before pap smears was the second most common cause of death in America uh, for women in America, cancer death for women. And that has fallen way down the list because pap smear screening prevents cervical cancer death. But you got to get a pap smear to do that. So all of those risks um, are real and they haven't stopped for COVID. People have to continue to pursue that screening. We can prevent those cancers in particular. That's very helpful. Let's move to the 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 COVID nineteen side. If somebody uh, is sitting there somewhere around the country and they have a set of medical conditions, you know, on one hand, or they have um, cancer uh, as a diagnosis, but they're wondering what their risk factors might be for uh, contracting COVID nineteen or or getting extra. Um, ill if they were to, what are some of the, um, the risk factors that you might advise a patient to think through in terms of COVID-19 risk? Well, so there's, there's the risk of getting COVID, and then there's the risk of having life-threatening complications from COVID, right? And so the risk of giving, getting COVID um, certainly is related um, most importantly, by your social interactions, so your ability or inability to do social distancing, how concentrated is your housing situation? Are you with people? You know, can you stay relatively isolated with just those people who you know and who are not going out um, too much into the general public versus people who are out in public and, and have lots of exposure? So that is is the risk factor of getting COVID. We also know, though, that younger people appear to be at somewhat less risk both of getting COVID really young. Now I'm talking about kids, you know, under age 18, seem to be at less risk of getting it and much less risk of having serious consequences. From On the other end of the spectrum, as we age um, or have comorbidities, our risk of life-threatening complications goes up. Um, so when I say comorbidities, that's a word, you know, it's a medical word for saying what else is wrong with you medically? You know, if you have diabetes, if you have high blood pressure, if you have heart disease, especially heart failure, if you have asthma, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, which means you probably means you smoke too much earlier in life, um, those people have a lot more consequences if they get COVID, and it's a much more life-threatening illness. Um, cancer is on that list. Um, it's not, you know, it's, it's, it can be high on the list. It doesn't have to be high on the list. You know, I, I get upset when they generalize and say, oh, you're a cancer patient. You're at horribly high risk. That actually isn't quite true. Some cancer patients whose immune system has been impaired either by their cancer or their cancer treatment are at higher risk. Others, if their cancer is gone and it was treated, possibly treated surgically and had no impact on their immune system, really aren't at that much higher risk. That's a very helpful point, Dr. Shane. So in other words, what you're saying is that the type of cancer that you may have had, as well as the type of treatment that you may have had, a patient should not really think of their COVID risk as just being cancer or not, but really 
the risk might be different for lung cancer versus, uh, you, you know, um, ovarian cancer versus prostate cancer. And furthermore, it might be different if you had uh, surgery alone versus chemotherapy. Is that is that what you're telling our, our viewers and, and listeners? Yeah, absolutely. If you had breast cancer 10 years ago that was treated with surgery and maybe some radiation or maybe not, um, and you've been fine for 10 years, your risk complications of COVID aren't any different than someone who's your age. On the other hand, if you had um, an acute leukemia and were on significant chemotherapy for months and then had a bone marrow transplant and you're just finished all that treatment six months ago, your immune system has not fully recovered and you are definitely at much higher risk. So those are two ends of the spectrum and people sort of layer out in between. I don't want anyone to be cavalier about COVID, don't get me wrong, uh, but I also don't want people to be paralyzed to think that they're prisoners in this world just because cancer crossed their path at some time in their life. That's extremely helpful. You've taken care of so many cancer patients over the years, and certainly you've taken care of, of many over the last couple of months. Before we move officially to many of the direct questions we've received from patients, can you just share you know, some advice that you would have? Uh, what's the one piece of advice that you might share for a, a cancer patient during this time? Well, it goes back to the things that I mentioned at the top of this show, which is um, by combining these protective measures, wearing a mask, social distancing, hand hygiene um, in particular, um, and then finally paying attention to symptoms that either you or someone in, that's close to you, someone that you're interacting with, have. If you use those tools to pay attention to them, um, we can come out of this, okay? You can, you can protect yourself, um, and, and that's the key. You can keep yourself safe. Now, I don't want people to say, oh my God, I got COVID, it's my fault. That's not true either. You don't have complete, none of us have complete control of our environment. And I don't want people to feel like I victim shame them. If they got COVID, it wasn't their fault. But there are things you can do to lower your risk. And I think that's really important. Dr. Schenk, as chief medical officer, you've already led uh, the practice of you know, the safest and, and high quality medicine before uh, the COVID pandemic. Uh, you've done an exceptional job keeping uh, patients uh, cared for and safe during the pandemic. And now as we enter this open up America phase, uh, given your expertise and your incredible success in doing this, what, what advice do you have for, for other providers or hospitals as they enter the open up America phase? As you know, at Cancer Treatment Centers of America, we were never closed. Um, we've been open for business all along, and that gives us the advantage of knowing what works. And what are those things? A single point of entry where patients are patients and the caregivers who come with them are rigorously screened for signs and symptoms of COVID, and a temperature is taken. Um, masking for our patients and their caregivers, as well as masking for our stakeholders, those people on our side. So two-way masking, those things significantly reduce the risk. 
I'd love to move to some of the uh, direct questions that we get from from patients. Uh, we, we have a, a lot of questions that have been submitted, and I think it's a tremendous opportunity to be able to to ask you know such an esteemed expert uh, like you, Dr. Shank, some of these questions. So um, here here's one that that I think is a pretty good segue in terms of what you've just been talking about. It's one that we get a lot. Um, how safe is it? Uh, this patient wants to know for uh, for her to travel uh, by airplane, can you can you talk generally about your thoughts on that matter? Yeah, well, certainly, right now with so few people traveling, it is relatively safe. And again, wear a mask, practice hand hygiene, and and I can't tell you how many times carry your alcohol wipes and your. Uh, or your alcohol hand sanitizer and your Lysol wipes, and you can be relatively control your environment. It's not perfect, but it's relatively controlled. And having said that, um, you know, we have patients who travel to see us. And, and I ask those patients, how did they feel safe? You know, did what was their environment? And they share with me that, in fact, for the most part, they do feel pretty safe. The airplanes are are pretty empty and the uh, flight attendants and the, and the staff in the airports are, have become incredibly respectful, um, at least from the patients that I talk to. And so I, I think it's, you know, it's reasonably okay. Now I'm not planning any vacations to Europe or China right now, but uh, um, you know, I think that for people who need to travel, they can, they can do so safely. That's helpful. I, I in, in recent weeks, I have been very impressed with uh, the measures that that airlines and, and airports have put into place to uh, to respond and and increase the level of safety. So, appreciate that response. Here's another one um, uh, that we've gotten from a patient. Uh, the submitted question says, "If I have tested positive for COVID nineteen, can I come to Cancer Treatment Centers of America for treatment?" Absolutely. Um, that said. We want, and and we have had patients who tested positive for COVID nineteen, um, including patients who have shown up at our door with symptoms, were detected or diagnosed by way of our screening at the front entry, and um, tested, um, and then um, they are quarantined if they have had COVID nineteen for two weeks when we know that their fever has resolved and their symptoms have resolved for an adequate period of time, then they can be tested. A follow-up question from, uh, from a patient that I think uh, fits, fits pretty well with that is, if I'm coming in for a treatment, what should I do to prepare? Monitor your symptoms, because if you suddenly have COVID symptoms, let us know. And, and to that end, we actually contact people in advance and, and talk to them to make sure that they're still well. You know, we want to test you. We want to make sure that you can, in fact, safely pursue this uh, rather than pursue the COVID treatment. So um, that's what you need to pay attention to. You know, we, we have created what I perceive to be a safe environment to come in to and we are very um, careful about that. So people should feel comfortable coming into this treatment environment. And would you say that even if somebody has 
had their treatment before uh, somewhere and their treatment got disrupted uh, in terms of continuity of care? Is that something that uh, that you feel comfortable in still being able to, to transition care if a patient has barriers or some reason why they can't get in? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if there are certain cancers where if you stop the treatment in the middle, you really lose ground or and, and eventually that earlier treatment you've had becomes meaningless. Not right away, but but those delays um, are really hard on uh, the efficacy of a cancer treatment. This is especially true in radiation, but it's also true in part um, with chemotherapy. Um, I think we can be say it, I think it's safe to say that nobody's surgery got stopped in the middle. I think we can say that sort of with some degree of humor, but short of that, you know, chemo and radiation should not be interrupted. Another patient question that I wanted to pose to you is, um, Dr. Schenk, are opening up America guidelines affecting all of your hospitals in the same way? You know, we have five hospitals um, around the country. And um, so the, the number of COVID cases or the incidence of COVID in each of those regions is different. Um, that said, certainly in Chicagoland, Philadelphia, Atlanta, they have um, seen a fair bit of COVID and that has tamped down or, or made those communities um, pretty aware and, and, and heightened awareness of that. Now it's a new world, right? Now all of a sudden we're opening up America and restrictions are changing and people might be coming uh, more um, they're moving around more. They're more willing to come in. How does it change what we do? Um, I don't see it having a dramatic impact personally. We are still screening at the front door. We're wearing masks. Um, you know, we're um, putting in place those safety measures that are absolutely necessary. And I think we're going to be doing that for quite a while yet. We have become. Um, more willing to allow uh, caregivers access to patients in the hospital um, a little more liberally um, as America has opened up. But that's that's the main change. Well, Dr. Schenk, uh, we're, we're running close to time for this segment. Is there any um, final thoughts or, or advice uh, or guidance that you'd like to share for, uh, for our viewers and listeners? Yeah, well, I, sure. I, I'd love to just sum up by saying cancer doesn't wait for COVID. Um, you know, COVID is clearly a threat to all of us in some way, but a bigger threat it would be to not get your cancer treatment, one. Two, we still have to continue our health care. Um, we have to do those things that keep us healthy. Um, so even if we were to get COVID, we're in a better shape to deal with it. Waiting for cancer treatment really in, causes suffering, causes suffering for the patient, causes suffering for the patient's family. We have to do everything in our power to continue to treat people um, the way they deserve to be treated. You know, and then finally, and I've said it many times in this show, but it can't be said enough. Wear masks. Uh, it's not a sign of shame. It's 
my mask protects you, your mask protects me. Um, continue to do social distancing. Any distance helps. Um, six feet's better than three feet, but any distance helps. Um, you know, hand hygiene, hand hygiene, hand hygiene, and avoid those social situations what, that might put you at risk. Too many people, whether it's too many people in an elevator, too many people in some closed space. If you can avoid that, you're going to be better off. I just want to thank you so much for taking the time today uh, to spend with uh, with me answering these questions for our listeners. I know um, so many valuable uh, insights and a lot of great advice. Well, thank you for having me. Certainly my pleasure.